Hey guys, you're listening to the Pro Wrestling Post Podcast with your host, Mark Madison. This episode's guest is Brody King. Visit ProWrestlingPost.com for interviews, blogs, and upcoming events in your area. You can also listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Android, or whatever podcast app you prefer. And now, here's Mark Madison. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, and welcome again to... The Pro Wrestling Post podcast with uh, myself, Mark Madison. I am joined by growing in popularity. I'm glad I was able to get some time with him, Mr. Brody King. Thank you again for your time and your energy, Brody. Oh, thanks for having me. I don't have much energy left after this weekend, but I will give you whatever I have left. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, so for fans that maybe not, aren't necessarily as familiar with your work, maybe you can give them a bit of a background where your early interest and pursuit in the industry began. Um, I've had an interest since I was a young child in wrestling. Uh, I've literally been watching wrestling since before I can remember. Um, but it didn't really come into my life until uh, my later 20s when mm-hmm. I found... Santino Brothers Wrestling Academy, and I signed up for wrestling school, and five years later, here I am. So when you initially got started, though, um, prior to, like, Santino Brothers, um, was there, what was it about it that kind of gravitated you or pulled you? Was it certain performers? Was it certain moves? Was it certain uh, matches? Uh, I, I would definitely say that I, I was more of, like, kind of a fair weather fan for probably 13 until I was, I don't know, in, in my 20s. And then I kind of watched it a little bit more. But I was never like a, like a mega fan. Um, but from, from my early teens before, I was a huge wrestling fan. And uh, it just came from uh, my dad was a fan and we would watch it together and he would take me to events. And um, I was always intrigued with guys like The Undertaker and you know, Papa Shango and like mm. the, the darker, like more like evil guys, like kind of I gravitated towards. Um, when The Undertaker had like the ministry, I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. I totally agree. Um, not so much maybe the corporate ministry, but the ministry itself had this real um, haunting nature about him. Yeah. Uh, was there anybody within that faction that uh, I know you mentioned Papa Shango, but that was more like earlier? But um, was yeah, it just? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, The Undertaker's been my favorite wrestler forever. And he's... And he was always... And then, like, the way that, like, this real looked, and then, like, the, uh, the, the Acolytes, or the ac- uh, Acolytes, is, is that what it is? Acolytes? APA? Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, they were awesome. Uh, I don't know, it, it just seemed like everyone had their role, and, and everyone was played so perfectly. So would you say that like the Brody King character that we see lends itself from some of that darker nature that we that you were interested in earlier on or not so much? Uh, I mean, it's definitely part of it. Um, I'd say that uh, Brody King is, is, is just me. You know, I wouldn't even say turned all the way up to 10. It's just kind of who I am as a person in general. Like, 
taking the horror movies I've always been obsessed with and wrestling and punk rock music and just kind of mixing them all into one and here I am. Oh, sweet. Okay. Uh, now, you did touch upon uh, the Santino Brothers Wrestling Academy, but uh, Rocky Romero, any connection there? Yeah, uh, Rocky was a big part of my like um, finishing school. I would I would say he was like a, my my finishing school trainer. Mm-hmm. He taught me a lot about you know uh, psychology and and putting like really putting a match together and and how to work a match and and Japanese psychology and and just uh, getting deeper into that that type of stuff. Sorry, did you say Japanese psychology? Just like how like the, the Japanese do things differently than Americans do things, like teaching me how the Japanese uh, put things together as opposed to Americans. Okay, maybe you can help us uh, just to understand the difference for those that aren't necessarily, because uh, they, they look at one product, they question why they don't, but what is some of the mindset behind the Japanese um, concept to, to how the, a match is put together? Where does the ideology or the... I think that uh, with American, you know, like popular American wrestling, like the WWE, it's more based on like story and characters. And while they do still have that in, in Japan, it's also very much uh, presented as like a sport and it's a competition. So you have two competitors uh, that each have their own edge that are using it to, you know, play out their match instead of just like, oh, this person is going to do this because he is under Vince McMahon's grasp or mm. whatever it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's a lot less predictable, I guess, in trying to predict if all signs lead to a Roman Reigns win, per se, um, that wouldn't be as obvious watching a Japanese um, like match necessarily structured together. I, I, I think so. And I mean, I, I think like especially in, like, the bigger Japanese tournaments as well, like, it's kind of hard to predict who's going to win the G1 Climax or the Best of the Super Juniors and stuff like that. They mm-hmm. really keep everything, like, any, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. That's, it's funny, I had a conversation with somebody about the G1 Climax just recently, and I threw out who I thought, but I'm basing that off of American process of like okay well these certain things have happened this person seems less likely to win it but it's not that that's not how to approach it it's you know it's a, a whole bunch of uh variables i guess that go into to go into consideration yeah i i, I don't know i'm a big fan of, of the japanese style of wrestling japanese products awesome um what did you walk away with uh with santino brothers uh, I mean, they gave me all the tools that I would need to be uh, the pro wrestler I am today. Uh, teaching me from the basics to, you know, putting a match together to even they have uh, lucha training every Tuesday under Los Luchas. So I got to learn the, uh, the art of lucha libre on top of my American wrestling, which I think gave me a different angle coming into the business as a, as a big man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my trainer, Jerry Chaos, and Robbie Phoenix, they, they taught me pretty much everything I, I know. Um, 
how would you maybe best describe the style for somebody that hasn't? You mentioned lucha, but uh, how would you best describe your ring style? Is there a bit of a, a hybrid, or do you stick primarily to one particular type, or is it kind of a process? Uh, I, I would definitely consider myself a, a hybrid wrestler. Um, it's very smash mouth, like in your face, but at the same time, I could jump off the top rope and do, you know, some crazy flip or dive out of the ring. Like, it, it's very unpredictable. Yeah. Um, now, you would said that always you were interested in fan as a wrestler wrestling fan from a young age fairweather kind of grew back into it but were there any other sports growing up that could have been an outlet if wrestling wasn't didn't grab your attention no sports growing up like i tried them and i just didn't like them mm. i never liked watching sports oh. uh, on tv like my dad wasn't like a sports guy like he he liked wrestling, and that was about it. Uh, I wrestled in high school, and that, and that was like pretty much to just try to be closer to the wrestling on TV. That's awesome. Big transition, though, right, from the amateur to the professional. Oh, yeah. A lot of the footwork and basics and stuff like that transitioned very well. Yeah. Um, what have you found to be maybe the biggest difference, per se, No doubt. I mean, there is that, that definite change from, from style to style. Um, uh, how have you found, in, I guess, in coordinating a match between singles and tag? Um, I Tag team wrestling, uh, I've been doing for about a year, about a year and a half, like seriously. And yeah. I've, only, I've only had probably, I don't know, 15 tag matches, mm-hmm. but... Does working with a partner, is it more of a challenge because you need to all be on the same page? Or do you find that it's pretty seamless and you just all know each other and uh, can run through things? But it, it definitely depends on your partner. Like I would say that if you get put in a promotion and you have a random partner, then it, it, it could be pretty hard because you need to have uh, good chemistry with your tag team partner. And um, currently I, I have a tag team partner named Tyler Bateman who has pretty much been one of my mentors in wrestling since I started, and we kind of hit it off right away, and we had great chemistry together. We kind of have very similar styles. So doing stuff together it just seems very natural to us. 
what is it about Tyler that you think has been so successful between the two of you working so well together? Um, I don't know. Maybe just the fact that we share common interests in, in a lot of different facets of life and then, like, our philosophies on wrestling are very similar and just the way that we look at uh, putting a match together is very similar as well. Hmm. Well, somebody that very that spoke very highly about you um, was somebody I spoke to just very recently, uh, Mr. Jake Atlas, um, and he's he talked about how you've been a real guiding force to him. Uh, maybe you could talk of that and you know what you see in Jake, and maybe how you feel your influences maybe help to build and better him. Um, well, me and Jake started about a month uh, apart from each other. And we were pretty much, like, the two people that, in, in, our, in our, well, he didn't have a class. He was doing, like, private training. And I didn't really have a class at the time because everyone else quit. So we kind of got there together, and we would just do class, like, three or four times a week, just the two of us for three or four hours at a time. And, I don't know, we just kind of became inseparable. And then he ended up... Uh, breaking his neck at one point, like about six or seven months into our training. Uh, he did some crazy flip and landed on his head, and his neck was broken, and it was like I didn't see him for a few months, and I, I thought that he was maybe done, and then he came back, and um, I just started working matches when, when he came back to training. So I was kind of able to help him with what he missed out on and also, you know, support him coming back from an injury that serious oh no doubt there's i mean i, I could he's so when he spoke of the time that he's had in the ring he's lost time in the ring because of i guess the injury and and trying to get back to a different position yeah and and i mean he's one of the most naturally gifted athletes i've ever seen in my life like he can literally do anything and he's Six feet tall and 200 pounds and can move like he's, I don't know, five feet tall and mm-hmm. 100 pounds, like, like light as a feather. And But he can also, you know, work a really stiff, like strong style match as well. He's a very talented person. Um, now, developing a reputation and a name is always key. Um, where do you think things began to pick up for you and lead? Uh, generating more popularity? Was there a moment that maybe stood out or moments um, for Brody King? Uh, I I keep looking back to uh, a match I had at Defy Wrestling last September against Shane Strickland. Um, I got in contact with Defy Wrestling through uh, PCW, BCW Ultra here in, in Los Angeles, they were taking notice of me, and um, the Sheik had kind of mentioned to them, hey, you, you guys should check out Brody, maybe you should use him, and they ended up using me, and then a couple shows later, they had me work Shane Strickland, and my match with Strickland was by far the hardest I've ever been pushed in a ring to that point, and it really opened up a lot for me in my, in, mentally 
general in front of a live crowd. And uh, I feel like I owe a lot to to Shane and I owe a lot to Defy um, for giving me that opportunity and pushing me to that limit. Because after that, the ball kind of started rolling. Like uh, MLW, Major League Wrestling had contacted me shortly after that match. It was just like, hey, we hear good things from Shane Strickland. We hear good, good things from uh, Defy Wrestling. We want to bring you in to, to Florida to start doing some of our stuff. And then from there, uh, a couple other people started taking notice. I did um, Evolve at the beginning of the year, and then eventually I did Pro Wrestling Gorilla in uh, March. Um, we'll, we'll touch up on Pro Wrestling Gorilla in just a second if, if you're okay with that. But um, you had said that the – so going back to last year, so we're talking 2017, the fall of this year? Okay, so can, and this is maybe a, a little more of a challenge, but in preparation for that match, what kind of things did you and Shane maybe go through leading into it that he put your mind at ease and knew that it was going to elevate you? I mean, you couldn't predict necessarily what was going to come of it, but going into it, some of the planning? Yeah, he, I, I don't know, he just has a way of like, I feel that, that Shane has, is one of the people that has a way of bringing the best out of anyone that he's in the ring with. And the way that he um, puts confidence in you as a wrestler, like knowing that he is a seasoned veteran of the sport and that he's been all over and he's wrestled some of the top talent, uh, the fact that he's in the ring with me and, you know, I'm kind of a nobody at that point. I'm still trying to get my name out there, and he's he's talking to me like I've been to the biggest top of the mountain. Like he's like, all right, so what do, what do you want to do? Like, uh, how do you want to do it? You know, what do you got? You you're gonna do great. Like, and then you just go out there, and I felt like you know I could go headline WrestleMania at that point. Hmm. Just the way that we um, put that match together, it, was, it wasn't. Like anything I had had at that point. This is King Cash, and you're listening to Pro Wrestling Post Podcast. It's it's great when people put their ego at the door, and the most important thing is putting on possibly like the best dance they can. Um, was there any trepidation, any fear that you know he's become established, he's he's going to want to call the shots, or was it um, no? I you know I've heard good things about Shane. I know working with Shane is going to be pretty easy going the impression you're giving is it's very easy going and it was it was pretty seamless yeah i mean like i got you, you might always have that that worry but um uh, about you know someone being a more established person and kind of wanting to call a shot especially against someone that's not as established or, or well known and he he like you said he didn't have an ego at all and he just kind of let me do my thing. He did his thing. We supported each other throughout the whole process, and I think it really translated well through the match. And and here we are, and we're talking about you know the growing success of Brody King, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, that match, notwithstanding, because you've already shared that um, to date, what other matches do you feel have been maybe the most rewarding? You walked out with a whole new appreciation of the competition, how maybe you've improved as a competitor. Um, anything else other than that match in particular stand out? 
I mean, there's been a few matches, like uh, another match with, with Strickland. Um, it was me versus him versus Flip Gordon at PCW Ultra. And uh, the crowd at PCW Ultra could, can be very intimidating because there's about a thousand people in the room. Mm-hmm. And it's electrifying once you go out there. So if you're not prepared for that, it can kind of take you off guard. And a, a three-way match is usually kind of difficult to begin with. But that was definitely uh, a big rewarding match for me personally. And then, uh, of course, when I debuted for Pro Wrestling Grill, that was like a big milestone for me and, and a big goal achievement that I had, I'd had starting wrestling. Uh, maybe share uh, how that experience all came about um, uh, with Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Um, you were also part of BOLA, I believe? Uh, I am this year, yeah. I will be debuting, or I will be making my BOLA debut this year. Okay, so um, did you attend events even just as a fan before or um, get an impression from talent how it was to work with the promotion? So I, I kind of always knew about um, PWG just as uh, a casual wrestling fan. Um, I remember I, I would used to like look at their website and see if they had a wrestling school, like when I was trying to find wrestling school. Mm-hmm. But uh, once I started at Santino Bros, I attended a couple uh, PWG shows um, as a fan. Uh, I went to Bola a couple years. And then I went to a few of their regular shows, and I was just, you know, infatuated with that style. And, like, just looking at that, like, that was one of the top promotions in the country, if not the world. And once you get there, that's when you can really say, like, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing it. Like, I'm getting myself out there the right way. And as a, as a local guy from Southern California, to go it was incredible yeah uh being billed from van nuys california and the venue being in Reseda, which is uh blocks apart right uh the crowd kind of went pretty crazy when he when i got announced from van nuys and that was a really special feeling moment no oh, it's it's the hometown boy that's uh that's doing big and going big and um, how was the preparation for that match? Oh, I was uh, very nervous. It felt like I was having my first wrestling 
not even if he had an ego, but he he just kind of he was very uh, good at, at giving me confidence in the match, and he he was like you know, like we're gonna do great, like you're gonna kill it, and we went out there and we killed it, and I couldn't have done it without him or without the support from everyone else around me. Um, any particular spot or sequence that not only got the the rise and reaction from the crowd, but that you and Adam were most pleased with how it was pulled off? Uh, there was there was probably a couple. Like I think that a lot of people, like the people that know me probably know that I can do some, some agile stuff, but the fans that don't know me, just like I'm 6'6 six, six, six in boots and 280 pounds, so I'm not like your average size luchador. So when I do like a knuckle lock, run up the rope, and do like an arm drag out of it, and then do a tope con hilo over the top rope, a lot of people are kind of blown away by that. So when that happened, it, it got like a standing ovation, and, and that was pretty cool. And then also, you know, uh, Adam Brooks giving me a Canadian Destroyer and stuff like that, like those are always pretty crazy visuals for the fans. Um Outstanding. Um, congratulations that things worked out as well as they did. Thank you. Um, what are some of your aspirations in the ring maybe moving forward? Um, who would you like to match up with and think that it would be a good matchup as well? Um, you could fantasy book a little bit here if you want to, but um, just the whole, I mean, we're, we're a few years in, names developing, aspirations domestically, uh, foreign, um, I have yet to have a singles match with Jeff Cobb. Uh, we have been booked to have a singles match maybe four or five times, and something always happens. Either it gets canceled or someone gets added to the match or just something weird happens with the match. But we don't actually get the one-on-one that, that we've been kind of going for. So I think once that finally happens, that will be a great match. We just recently worked at PCW Ultra. It was uh, myself, Jeff, and uh, Matt Little against each other, which they are also attacking together, so that didn't really work out in my favor because they were kind of biased against each other and teamed up on me. So that didn't really <laughs> help my case. Um and well, maybe this is like an open request and, and and forum, Jeff. You know, if you've if we can schedule something between both you and Brody and and actually have it as one on one, let's move, let's make it happen. Yes. <laughs> um, but what about uh, promotions, uh, places, countries? Um, where does where does Brody King think the future lies for him? Uh, honestly, I, I want to wrestle everywhere. Um, I really want to wrestle in Japan. Uh, that's been a goal of mine since I started. Uh, I've always loved Japanese wrestling. I love Japanese culture. Uh, and, yeah, that's just kind of my, my main goal right now is, is to to go wrestle in Japan, preferably for New Japan Pro Wrestling, but I'll take what I can get. Um. Well, it would have definitely work with under, already going in with an understanding of Japanese psychology and being able to apply that. 
um, I certainly would be tested there, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. But other than that, I would love to, to go to the UK and you know work for companies like Progress or Cyclo Pro or Rev Pro, maybe WXW in Germany, like just do a, a full European uh, shebang out of it. But I, I, I'm willing to, to travel and wrestle anywhere. Hmm. I wonder what a what a Walter versus Brody Lee matchup would look like. Interesting. Well, that actually just happened at uh, PWG on Friday. We main evented at the Globe Theater, and it was myself versus Walter. And how did that how did that go over? Well, I lost, but I gave him a hell of a fight. It's not always the result. It's sometimes the the process, right? Um, on July 27th, you'll be competing for PCW Ultra uh, during their Sound the Alarm event in a match against the King of Bros. It's funny how you were trained by Santina Bros, but you're facing the King of Bros and Matt Riddle. Um, what can you share with fans and what they can anticipate about this match, your opponent, and um, how the, why this match will be the match of the night? Definitely. Uh, before we do let you go, Brody, we're just curious if you're up for a little game. Sure. Okay, so the game here on Pro Wrestling Post Podcast is called Wrestling Tinder. Um, much like regular Tinder, uh, if you're interested in the topic, <laughs> normally gets a chuckle once I give you the title. <laughs> much like regular Tinder, if you're interested, you swipe right. If you're not interested in the topic, you swipe left, and it forces me to have to scour my brain for something that you might be remotely intrigued by. Okay. Okay. Um, it's funny. I'm going to hit you up with the same question I hit Jake up with. Um, you being 6'6", about 280, I mean 6'6 in boots, as you mentioned, uh, about 280 yep. pounds. Um, just yesterday, uh, Kevin Owens... Um, fell 15 feet from the top of a cage and in what's a planned spot. Um, and thankfully things worked out and definitely got a reaction. Um, but I wonder from the same company that had a real tragic, um, fatality, although many years ago, uh, with one of their performance and performers in a really planned spot. I mean, we've seen Shane do it. Do you think it's necessary to have those, um, is it once in a while? If it does, it lose something. Does it add something? Um, swipe left or right? Uh, swipe right. Okay, go for it. Fair, share your feelings. Um, although I don't think that they need to be done often because it definitely takes the the, the specialness out of it. You, everyone remembers when mankind 
got thrown off the hell of a cell. Mm-hmm. Like, that is something that even rest, pro wrestling fans remember. So, that type of impact, I think, is important in pro wrestling, but at the same time, it shows that there's very real consequences to what we're willing to put our bodies through. Mm-hmm. And some people are just more willing to do the crazy stuff than others. But uh, the ones that, that are, you know, I have all my respect in the world. You mentioned mankind. much Not much different from Kevin Owens. Both have families. Both have... Uh, a family to go home to, I mean, to see that is pretty major. Um, uh, and Shane McMahon, who's had his kids at ringside, whether it's planned or not. So um, definitely other, there are both sides to consider when uh, when something like that comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really all just depends on the, uh, the performer who's doing it. Um, I don't think anyone's really holding a gun to their head, you know, metaphorically speaking, and telling them you have to do this spot. I'm sure that it's like, hey, what if we do this? It would be pretty insane. And as long as everyone is okay with it, then I, I guess it's okay. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I don't think that I would ever do it, but I also don't think that others shouldn't. That's a fair enough answer. To each his own. Um, on behalf of Brody King, this is Mark Madison thanking you for listening to the Pro Wrestling Post podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Pro Wrestling Post podcast with Mark Madison. And we'd also like to thank Brody King for his time. Once again, please visit ProWrestlingPost.com for interviews, blogs, and upcoming events in your area. And you can also find a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Anchor, or whatever podcast app you prefer.